We don't do everything right, but that's pretty cool. Carla's not here this morning. If you don't know Carla, uh, I'm a firm believer in this. To know Carla is to know Jesus. That lady loves Jesus so, so much. And uh, it's been good to get to know their family and these past couple of years. Um, if you have a copy of the scriptures, if you'll open with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, um, as you're turning there, two other things just worthy of celebrating. Um, many of you know our friend John Drown, uh, who is serving in the military, getting ready to head overseas pretty soon to serve a year in the Middle East. Um, we received our first letter from Jonathan just this past week, just uh, encouraging our church, catching us up, just a couple things to highlight. Um, he's currently in El Paso, Texas, um, just doing some final training. He, did, he wanted me to let you know this. He said, I'm happy to report that there is indeed a Texas roadhouse in Texas. <laughs> There's not false advertising there. Um, I thought that was hilarious. Um, said, you know, he's got a fair amount of downtime useful for working out with his platoon. He said equipment is limited, but we make do with what we have. He's texted me and Joe a few times about that, that he's getting to work out more until they get deployed. And uh, we always text him back, and we say, that's good. Now maybe you can lift more weights than your sister. And uh, getting to attend chapel services, he still goes back and tunes in um, to, to our services here after they're posted. Um, but his military orders do go through October 28th of 2023. And so it'll be right around this time next year that we'll get to see Jonathan again. And so um, I'll leave this out in the lobby. If you actually want to read this uh, fully, I would encourage you to do that. He sent some photos as well. Um, and then also, let me encourage you, uh, so he's got a, probably two or three more weeks until he heads overseas, and when we find out an address for mail, we'll make sure that we make that available, and as a church, we'll send packages to him as well. But until then, um, leaving a church community and then going overseas, and if some of you have done that before, it can be very lonely. And so if you have Jonathan's contact information, can I encourage you over the next couple of weeks, just a simple, I'm thinking of you, love you, we'll see you soon. And in addition to that, if you don't have his contact info and you would like it before you leave today, um, he has given permission that we can give that to you just to send him a message and just encourage his heart um, while he's over there. I know that's a hard transition for him. Second to that, which I thought was pretty cool, last week we got to participate in Powell's Candy by the Carload, and uh, I'm... I'm 100% certain we won best, like, booth. We didn't even have a booth. We had a pirate ship, all right? And uh, it was awesome. 500 kids approximately came through that we were able to give candy and information on the church to, and uh, that's always just a huge blessing. Um, I always think of uh, Jeremiah when he talks about the, uh, the Israelites in exile, and he talks about seeking the welfare of the city in which God has placed you. And although we come from a diverse um, group of people, various cities that come to this location— the home base of Living Hope Columbus is the city of Powell, and we've always sought at this church to just be a blessing to the community, even in simple things like when you showed up to our booth, not only did we have a pirate ship, but you got a handful of candy, not this little one little Hershey bar kind of a thing, all right? And uh, it's just kind of church that we are, so I thought that was pretty, pretty awesome. Acts chapter 16, if you want to follow along in the scriptures, it'll be on the screen as well. We're closing out the ghost story series today, talking about a good day in jail, a good day in jail. So if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word, we're going to start in verse 25 and read down through verse 34. And the scripture says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately 
all of the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. And when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. Verse 28, but Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights, rushed in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I love that. Verse 31, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your entire household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in the house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And right away, he and his, all his family were baptized. Verse 34, and he brought them into his house, set a meal before them and rejoiced, listen to this, because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, we thank you that, God, we can just celebrate so many things here at Living Hope. God, what a blessing it was to hear Carla's testimony. The Lord, even when life is difficult, that we can still trust the faithfulness of God. It ties in so well to what we're talking about this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would give us open ears to hear from you today. God, not only open ears, but receptive hearts and then obedient hands and feet, Lord, because we want to walk closely with Jesus and live lives of obedience to Jesus. So be with us today, Father. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I will never forget the first time that I went to prison. Some of you are pausing right now, and you're probably thinking to yourself, wait a second. You've been to prison. It was on a visit, so don't get worried. But through a friend a few years ago, I had got connected to a gentleman who was in prison as an accomplice to a pretty substantial crime. And this guy had asked to meet with a pastor. And so I left all my belongings behind uh, in the entrance to that prison. I went through the metal detector. I walked through a very large metal door, went down this long, dreary hallway. If you didn't know this, prisons aren't typically decorated very fancy. I got to this another large metal door that led outside, and I'll never forget that moment. I can still feel the weight of the moment when that second metal door slammed shut behind me. You can hear that thing, and that lock finally latches I stopped in that moment. It was a nice day outside. I looked up around me, saw very large metal fences, the barbed wire wrapped all around those things. And I thought to myself, why am I here? I'm <laughs> not built for prison. I walked around in that common area. They took me inside into this area where several seats were gathered around, guards literally all over the place watching every move that you were making. And this young man in his late 20s came walking out, really large individual, and sat down in a chair directly across from me. I'd never met him before, so we started with a few minutes of small talk, but I knew that I was there on purpose. I had a reason for that visit. This young man wanted to talk about faith, and he wanted to talk about Jesus. And so as quick as I could, I transitioned the conversation we talked about salvation that Jesus offers us. We talked about the goodness of God, even in the midst of very difficult circumstances. We talked about the grace of God extended to us, even when we don't deserve it. Many things like the scriptures, future plans that he had, future plans that I had. We talked through what it means to trust God in the midst of circumstances that are out of our control. And after about a three-hour visit, our time was winding down. He had to go back to his cell. I gathered up my items, went back through those doors, 
And I walked out of that jail into the parking lot. I sat down in my car, and I remember thinking this to myself. As strange as it sounds, that was actually a pretty good day in jail. And you know, that serves as a really good backdrop to this message this morning, our text here in Acts chapter 16, because when we think of prison, I don't think any of us think to ourselves, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good day. Yet as we continue this final message in the ghost story series, where we look at these conversion stories in Acts, we see this moment in Acts 16 as a very good day in jail. If you look at our passage here in Acts 16, you can flip back probably one page in your Bible towards the beginning of this chapter. We see that Paul and Silas here are in an area known as Philippi. You might remember just a few years ago, we preached through the book of Philippians here at Living Hope Columbus. And they're, they're staying now in Acts chapter 16 with this lady, this believing woman, a follower of Jesus named Lydia, who had opened her home to them as they were sharing the gospel and starting churches across this Philippian region. The Bible says in Acts chapter 16, verse 16, that there was a young woman who was a slave girl who was predicting people's futures through the power of this false spirit. Verse 19 of Acts chapter 16 says that Paul commanded the spirit to come out of her, which in turn, her, quote, owners got very angry because they were losing their source of money. So the Bible says in Acts 16 that they seized Paul and Silas. They took them to the city leaders who put them under a very quick trial, and with the help of an angry crowd, they stripped Paul and Silas of all of their clothing. It doesn't start like a really good uh, day. It doesn't sound like a good day to me yet. The Bible says they were then beaten and flogged. If you don't know what flogging is, uh, back in that time, they would take a very long uh, pole or maybe even a whip of some kind, and they would beat you across your back 39 times. Jewish law prohibited doing it more than 40 times. So in, in adding to the law, they said, all right, we'll never whip anybody more than 30, 39 times so that we don't uh, break the Jewish law. They took Paul and Silas, they put him in prison. Up to this point, things are not looking that great. But I was reminded of this this week, that when you're a follower of Jesus and your focus on the go- is on the gospel, that you begin to see every obstacle in your life as an opportunity. These missionaries were beaten and bruised. By all accounts, they should have been burdened and defeated. But what did they do? They saw this as a good day in jail. They saw what should have been a bad day turn into a good day in jail because the focus that they had was not on themselves, not on their situation. Their focus was on the gospel and moving the mission of Jesus forward. So let's ask a couple questions this morning. It was a good day to do what? Point number one, if you're a note taker, write these things down. It was a good day to sing. A good day to sing. It's interesting to me, we look in verse 25, that the backdrop to this story, you see these guys singing, isn't a sunny day, it's not mid-afternoon. The Bible says in verse 25 that the backdrop to this story, Paul and Silas, Acts 16, 25, is the dead of night. It's the dead of night. And rather than sleeping in this prison cell, what are these two men doing? Verse 25, it says, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God. Y'all, with the backdrop that we just read, these guys had been arrested, they'd been beaten, they'd been thrown into the inner jail cell. By all accounts, their ministry seems to have been halted. I don't know about you, but if that's the day that I had had then, I don't think I would be up at midnight singing. If anything, I'm going to be sleeping. Maybe we should ask ourselves this, this question today. This is one I've been meditating on throughout this week. When life knocks me down, how do I respond? When life knocks you down, how do you respond? 
Because if I'm honest with you this morning, a little bit of transparency, when life is difficult for me, and it's never near the level of difficulty that these gentlemen were facing here, but when life is difficult for me, my natural tendency is not to run to God, it's to push away from God. Anybody else? My natural tendency isn't to run to God, it's to push away from God. My natural tendency when things get difficult and life gets challenging and circumstances are just not that great, I know some of you all are dealing with that this week, I get angry at God. I begin asking questions like, why are these things happening to me? Why are these things happening around me? We begin questioning God's goodness, yet I'm challenged with this thought from one simple verse in Acts 16, verse 25. That if my God is worthy of my prayer and my praise on good days, isn't he still worthy of my praise and prayers on dark nights? My soul needed that question this week. If God is worthy of my praise on good days, isn't he still worthy on the dark nights? Isn't he still worthy when life isn't good? One of the best Christian disciplines we can engage in, in addition to reminding ourselves of the gospel daily, is reminding ourselves that we serve a God that is worthy of our praise despite the circumstances we may be dealing with. God is always worthy of our praise. I began to ask this question too, simply off verse 25. What were they singing? Thought about that? Beaten, bruised in the inner jail cell, yet at midnight, these guys, they were singing. What were they singing? In my Bible reading this week, I, so part of my practice recently, I've been reading through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and journaling, but then what I do is I've been reading through the Psalms one by one, and I've been praying through them. And as I was preparing for this message that morning, I had read through Psalm 3, and I was praying through Psalm chapter 3, and I came across this Psalm, and I, I began to wonder myself, I wonder if they were singing this. What if they were singing this Psalm of David? Listen to this, Psalm chapter 3. Lord, how my foes increase. Talk about their situation. There's many who attack me and many who say about me, there's no help for him in God. But you, Lord, you are my shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. And I cry aloud to God, which is exactly what they were doing at midnight, because he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Verse 6, and I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord, and save me, God. You strike my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. I wonder if they were singing a psalm like that at midnight in that jail cell. Because right after this verse, we do see that God does rescue them. He was their salvation. What were they singing? Second to that, the Bible is very clear in verse 25 that they weren't the only ones in this jail cell. Look at verse 25. They're praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were doing what? Listening to them. Now, let's pause here for just a second. Again, sometimes Bible words, we can read over them in English, and we just, we can miss what's going on. We know there's a difference between listening and active listening, right? Listening and actually listening intently to someone, right? Some of you this morning are listening, and some are listening intently, right? We know the difference. I'm judging all of you. You know it. Let me give you an example. Um, as a parent, I, I literally lived this this week. Um, you tell your kid, you're, maybe you're in the living room, you're hanging out one afternoon this afternoon, and you tell your kid um, in the midst of just conversation and hanging out, hey, I need you to go upstairs and clean your room. Amazing how that simple request, they just, they don't, they don't listen, they don't hear you. It's like in one ear, out the other. No idea that you even said for them to go clean their room. But it's amazing how you could say, hey, I need you to go clean your room, and also I'm going to let you have a bowl of ice cream. 
Which one of those sentences did they hear, even though they were said in the exact same breath? Because there's a, there's a stark difference between just listening and listening intently. Verse 25 there, our, our word for listen, I, I would circle that, highlight it, underline it, whatever in your Bible. Um, that's a word that means to listen intently. That you're paying attention to what someone is saying because it, it matters. So what we see there in verse 25 is the other prisoners that were in that jail cell were listening intently to what Paul and Silas were singing. These two men, Paul and Silas, singing the praises of God, think about this, with open, fresh wounds still on their backs. Singing the praises of God with their feet in shackles, the praises of God at midnight. Hey, here's a good reminder for us today. Man, again, my soul needed this this week. How you respond to trouble and adversity in your life, it matters. What you do when things knock you down matters. Because whether we like it or not, if you claim to be a Jesus follower and other people know that to be true of you, they're watching you. It's that old phrase, that idea of living in a glass house or living in a fishbowl. The moment you say yes to Jesus and your faith goes from something that's simply personal to something that's public, people begin to watch you. And they watch how you respond to everyday situations, the good things and the bad things. And here's what they want to know. This individual claims to follow Jesus, but life is knocking them down. How does their faith intersect with their everyday life? How does their faith intersect when things are just not that good and the skies are cloudy? How does their faith intersect with what they, they claim to believe? How does all that tie together? What do they see in your life and in my life? And in the midst of their singing and praising God, what does he, God do? He does a miracle. Verse 26, it says, suddenly there was a violent earthquake. Foundations of the jail are shaking. Doors are opening. Everybody's chains come loose. A natural event invoked by God for supernatural purposes. And rather than running, what happens? Paul and Silas, point number two, see this as a good day to preach. It started as a good day to sing. Now it's a good day to preach. Verse 27 says, the jailer woke up saw the doors of the prison standing open, so he drew his sword. He was going to kill himself because he thought the prisoners escaped. He likely had woken up from this earthquake, obviously. First thing he does, he looks over, sees the prison doors are open. He had been given strict orders. You can see in Acts 16, verse 23 and 24, strict orders to guard these prisoners carefully. So why did he draw his sword? This is interesting. I didn't realize this. I had heard versions of this before. If you were a Roman guard and you had lost the prisoners that you were commanded to guard, you were then um, to suffer the same punishment that they would have received. You would have had to have the same punishment that the prisoners that you were guarding were supposed to receive. You can read about that in Acts 12, verse 19, the guard that was supposed to be guarding Peter. So in Acts chapter 16, verse 27, this guy considered it better to die, to kill himself, than to endure the punishment that was awaiting Paul and Silas. He looks at this prison door. From the outside, it looked empty. The doors were open, but inside, that wasn't the case. Verse 28, Paul calls out to him in a loud voice, don't harm yourself. Paul knew. He was a Roman citizen. He knew what was going to happen to this guy because we're all here. I mean, if you, you pause and read that, you can kind of feel this sigh of relief from this guard. He couldn't see into the jail. They were in those inner chambers, but he heard Paul's voice, and he knew in that moment, my life has been spared. Verse 29, he calls for the lights. He runs inside. What does he do? He doesn't say, oh, cool, this is good. I'm going to lock you guys back up. 
What's he do? He actually falls at the feet of Paul and Silas. He's trembling in fear. Why? Because they had literally they'd saved this guy's life. He was supposed to die, but because they chose not to run, his life was spared. Let me remind us of this truth again. How you respond to trouble and adversity in your life, it matters. They could have ran, but they stayed. And in verse 30, he walks him out of the jail cell. And one of the most important questions that you can ask today that I could ever ask in my entire life, verse 30, says the jailer escorted him out. And here's what he said, sirs, Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? That's the most important question that any one of us could ever ask. What must I do to be saved? How did he, this is a good question too. First off, what were they singing? That just boggles me. Here's the second thing I was thinking about. How did this jailer know that he needed to be saved? How did he know that he was a sinner who needed the saving grace of God in his life? I don't know. Uh, Maybe he heard Paul and Silas singing the salvation that Jesus offers earlier in the night. You wonder that? I wonder if they were singing about the salvation that, that, that apart from Jesus Christ, that we're all wretched sinners destined for an eternity separated from God. But because of what Jesus did on that cross not too long before this event, we can be reconciled to God and be made right with him again. I wondered if maybe this guard had been in the proximity of the crowd earlier in Acts 16 when Paul and Silas had been preaching in Philippi. I don't know. We don't know how this guy knew exactly that he needed to be saved, but here's what we do know. Remember this? How you respond to troubles and adversity in your life, it matters. Years ago, I heard a version of this quote. You've probably heard this before. There's one guy attributed to it, William Tomes. He said this. He said, be careful how you live you will be the only Bible some people ever read. Be careful how you live, Christian. You will be the only Bible some people ever read. From what we know, this man had never read any of the writings of Paul up to this point, some of the letters he had sent to the churches already. From what we know, this man had probably never read the Old Testament writings, but what he did, he likely had heard the singing of two men who believed that Jesus was worthy of praise no matter the circumstances. He saw the lives of two men, Paul and Silas, who were living their faith before him. And through the power of the Spirit of God, this jailer knew one thing, I need what they have. Their lives pointed him to Jesus. Can the same be said about me and can the same be said about you? Simple truth, again, that ties these verses together. Live in such a way that others will want to know the Jesus you claim to know. Does your faith pull people towards Christ or push them away by how we live Immediately in verse 31, Paul and Silas point him to Jesus. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And listen to what they say. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. The best part, verse 32, they share the gospel with him. The Bible says in verse 32 that they're speaking the word of the Lord to this jailer. But not just him. He brings out his entire family to hear this. And every single one of them gets saved. Man, this is so important here. And I hope I'm not taking too many liberties with this text. If I am, take it up with Pastor Joe this week. I heard a stat from Billy Graham years ago that said this. This is so, men, tune in. Active listening for the next 30 seconds. You ready? Billy Graham said years ago that if a father comes to faith in Jesus, that 60% of the time his entire household will end up coming to faith in Jesus. It's actually less if it's the mom that comes to faith first or the kids that come to faith first. But if the dad comes to faith first, 60% of the time the wife and the children will follow suit. Because he ends up leading his entire family to Jesus. Now, 
That was just quoted by Billy Graham. I don't have a stat for that. I don't have anything like a, a little subnote to give you. I just remember hearing Billy Graham say that years ago. So what does that teach us? What do these verses, 32 through 34, teach us here? I hope I'm not taking too many liberties, but i, I got to share this. Men, active listening, ready? Lead out in faith for your family. God created men to take the first step in that for our families. What does that mean? It means men, read your Bible regularly and let your family see you doing it. Men, take your family to church I have trouble getting my kids out of bed. You're bigger than them. Get them out of bed. They don't want to go. I don't care. <laughs> Establish habits now that will inform their life later. Your kid's not going to be the next prodigy support star, none of that junk. What they are going to do is spend eternity somewhere. So lead out in your family on what is important and matters. Some of you are like, my kid is going to be the prodigy. See me in 20 years. I'll teach you. Pray with your family. Lead out in prayer. Teach your kids what it looks like to pray to a holy God. Be generous. Don't always just try to, to get, 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 get. Show your kids what it looks like to give. Live out your faith for your wife and for your children in the midst of your church, at your vocation. And here's what challenges me, guys. Listen to this. Be the kind of man that you want your son to be. This even gets me more. I got two girls, 10 and 5. Be the kind of man that you want your daughter to marry. Men, lead your family. That's what this jailer did. He gathered his family up. Sirs, what must we do to be saved? And they all came to faith in Jesus. Their singing led to preaching which led to a really good day, point number three, to a good day to baptize some folks. At verse, 20, verse 33, he says that it's still night. The families repented of their sin, all of them. They put their faith in Jesus. The jailer washes the wounds of Paul and Silas. And then what happens? Acts 16, 33. says right away, he and all his family were what? They were baptized. Why? Because their lives had been changed, and baptism was proof of that. We don't ask this question a lot. Let me go and ask this this morning. If you're, if you're watching online or you're listening on the radio later, this is an important question to ask. You ever been baptized before? If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, have you followed through with the act of baptism? If not, let me just go and ask you, why not? Why not? Well, Aaron, why do I need to? I've been saved for 23 years. I get it. Baptism is simply a public declaration of an inward decision that you've already made, that you've repented of your sin. Jesus has washed you clean. You go underneath that water, and it's a picture of that decision. And then when you come up out of that water, it's not miracle water. It just comes from the spigot in that closet. That's all it is. But it's proof to everybody present that Jesus has given you a new life. What's happened on the inside, this is external proof. Have you ever done that before? If I had to guess, there's a handful of y'all in here that claim to be Jesus followers, and you've never been baptized before. You say, why do I need to do that? First off, because we see an example here in this scripture and all through the, the, through the scriptures. But second, oh, you hear me? Because Jesus said to. If Jesus told you that after you got saved that you needed to stick a popsicle in your ear and stand on one foot for 15 minutes, you might ask yourself, well, why do I need to do that? Because Jesus said to. The word of God says so. So if God said it, let's do it. Yeah? I think that's pretty simple theology. 
I was thinking about that this week. You know, baptism is the very first act of obedience that the Jesus follower is called to, right? I repent of sin, put my faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, Romans 8, indwells me. And what's the first thing that we're commanded to do? Show everybody around you, your community, that that has happened in your heart. How do I do that? You get in a tub of water, a lake, a stream, or the ocean. You go under, you come back up. You say, Jesus, why? Jesus says, because I said so. Now, we could get into the nuances of the Old Testament and the picture that everything is. We could get into all that. We don't have time today. Why do we do it? Because Jesus said so. That's the first thing he asks you to do. And here's what was challenging to me this week. If we can't be obedient in that one little thing that Jesus calls us to do initially when we put our faith in him, what makes us think that we'll be obedient to him with the rest of our lives? Really? I mean, that's what, that's what we're called to do first. That's what we're called to do first. If I ask my daughters to clean their room and to do a, a litany of other things, and they don't do the one thing that I initially asked them to do, but they do everything else, still being disobedient, right? Men, lead out. Christian, be obedient. This family gets baptized, and then they have this giant meal in verse 34. Just a little pastor joke. They were probably Baptists. So it's like, guys like, God, we got saved. Now let's have a potluck. You know, I love that. Baptist churches love to eat. But close with this thought. This text is a simple story, but so much application here. But it all ties back to this, this one thought. How you respond to troubles and adversity in your life, it matters. I'm reminded of that this week. I'm reminded, as I've talked to some of you this morning, that when hard days come, weeks, months, for some of you, you've been walking through just the valley of the shadow of death for what it seems like years. How you respond to trouble and adversity in your life matters. Because what do we see in this simple story in Acts 16, the conversion of the Philippian jailer and his whole family? First, that when you're in those valleys, that Jesus is still worthy of your praise. And a lost world needs to see that that's true. They need to see you singing at midnight with open wounds on your back to know that this life's not about you, but it's about the one who made you and gave his life for you. He's worthy of your praise. The world is watching. And in those seasons of adversity, and however long they are, I'm reminded of the verse that we read over Pastor Joe last week, and I'll close with this as we pray, where Paul has this thorn in his flesh, some sort of physical ailment, likely his vision, but we're not positive what it was, that was hindering life and ministry for him. And he prayed three times, God, take this away from me, Lord. Why is this not going away? This is hindering me. I feel like it's just this constant cloud of darkness over my life. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I gotta leave that there because I wanna remind you of this, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. Paul knew that for him to have a bloody beaten back, to be in a, a jail cell, to struggle with a physical ailment, to be in that valley, was an opportunity to trust Jesus more deeply and to show those around him that he served a God, that his circumstances, it didn't matter. My God is worthy of my praise no matter what I'm going through. Let me pray for us as our praise team comes. God, we love you. Lord, I hope that today's reminder from Acts 16 encourages your church. God, even in 
Lord, there's so many issues that people are struggling with this last year. Family members with health problems, job things going on, children running away, acting like prodigals, marriage situations. God, we could just go down the list. All of us have something. I've got to pray that this text reminds us, first and foremost, that if we have given our lives to Jesus, we have all that we need. That life goes beyond the temporal experience that we have for 70 plus years on this earth, and we're eternal beings. We'll spend eternity somewhere, and if we've given our lives to Jesus Christ, we rejoice and we praise because this life isn't all there is. But God, we have a home waiting for us in a place called heaven. And so, God, even when we're in those valley seasons, I pray that we would fix our eyes on the eternal hope that we have and give you the praise that you and only you deserve in the midst of all of that. And may our lives just simply be a resounding testimony to a world that needs to know Jesus, that this life isn't all there is. We can trust Jesus with our entire being. God, I pray as we sing that our voices are a sweet sound through the corridors of heaven as we pray each week, God, giving you the praise that you and only you deserve. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.